All right, so we're in Romans 8, and I think we're starting with verse 12. So, uh, Katrina, would you read verses 12 to 17? Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So now Paul, this, by the way, Romans 8, just a reminder, is the climax, the key, the peak of Romans. So that everything that comes before leads up to this chapter and everything that comes after uh, comes out of that chapter. So uh, just so we keep that in mind. Uh, he now introduces this concept of adoption. And I always think that people who have been adopted have an advantage over those of us who have been naturally born into a family because they have an experience of something that we haven't had. And so they can better relate to being adopted into God's family. This is, a, by the way, a very ancient custom of adoption. And this is why he ties it together with the concept of heir, heirship or heirdom. In very ancient times, going back to Babylonia, a person could adopt someone to be their heir. If say they had no sons, uh, and they didn't want their daughters to inherit their... because daughters marry into another family, and that becomes a problem. So they would take someone, maybe a servant, maybe a slave, maybe um, someone they know well, maybe an orphan, and they would adopt them legally to become part of their family and to become an heir. And uh, they, had to rec they had to call their adoptive parent, father and mother. If they decided they didn't like being adopted and they didn't want the heir, the, to be an heir, they had to uh, say, you are not my father. That's, that was how they <laughs> aborted the adoption. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there was a penalty for that, a uh, mm -hmm. financial penalty. Yeah. Uh, and they would lose the heirship that they had. So that, and I think this, I think this continued. I think this was done in Greek culture. I think it was done in uh, yes. Roman culture as well. Yeah. Uh, I know that adoption was very prevalent in Roman culture, usually for s the sake of slaves, uh, because there was a lot of exposure of infants. And uh, so, if you wanted a slave, free slave, just go out and find an exposed infant, bring it home, adopt it. And You'd you didn't raise it. Then. You had to raise it, feed it, clothe it, uh, and it became your slave they or your son's that slave. Adoption? I that is not really adoption. Oh, okay. But I think that they had, in terms of having heirs in the Roman Empire, I think they must have carried on this custom as well. 
What you just described is Ezekiel 16. Can you speak a little yeah. louder oh, there? I'm sorry. What she just described is Ezekiel 16, where God walks past this baby squirming in its blood, and he picks it up and does everything that you just described. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. I never, I never thought of that, but Ezekiel is very Babylonian. You know, he's writing in Babylonia, and, and so much of what he does is Babylonian. So, yeah. In my own extended family back in Greece, my father had sisters and two brothers. The three brothers inherited the property, but not the daughters. Mm-hmm. But the family was committed to buy a house for the, for the daughters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they did want It's called a dowry. Because the, yeah, the dowry. I got a dowry myself and my sisters because my father was in the Navy and the officers of army air would give so much from their salary a month towards the dowry and the government would give the rest so uh, you have to normally get to be married wow. yeah so Eric got some money so this is really <laughs> embedded this is really embedded wow. in the legal process exactly exactly so you had to get married to get your dowry yes yes but somehow Economo, if you remember her right. name she never married, but she managed, she got a lawyer, and she managed to get her dowry because she said, my father had been paying for all these years. What, you know, why, why right. would I not get it, right. you know? Yeah. But um, we could not get the money out of Greece. And that was in the, got married in 65, and the, the economy of Greece did not allow them to get money out. And I was really upset that, well, why can I not get my father's money? So Eric had a very wise says, let's give this to the Adventist church as a, a tithe. You know, give the money to the church as a tithe, since you could not use it, you know. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, yeah, well, I'd like to get something that reminds me of my father. So anyway, that was while we were here in the 70s. That was his first job, 1970. Mm-hmm. So years later, he told me, well, how did you think we got this dining room? I said, how did you get this dining room? He said, all the money, I t- he talked to the people here at PUC to say, I already pay my tithe for X number of months or something to that, so I don't have to pay tithe now sh- because I already paid the tithe. So she saved it. he saved this money and bought it. <laughs> <laughs> so you still got your dowry? <laughs> I did not know that he told me years later. So anyway, yeah, that was, yeah, I had cousins, women cousins, who would not get the property. And, and we, we um, because my my father, be, and being a male, he inherited part of his parents' property. Mm-hmm. And even now, just today, yesterday, I got an email. We have a piece of land. We sold it years ago. But there's one little piece of land mm-hmm. needs to be sold in the southern part of Greece, Peloponnese, and uh, somebody's interested. So it was because of my father. Wow. If we had a mother, we would not have, if, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because he was a man, he could get his father's property. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I like this, though. It might be hasty to you, but I like this. I like my heritage. <laughs> because sure. it means something to me, you know, when you explain yeah. In the meaning of things. Yes. You know? And I said, you don't understand a person's history. You don't understand a person unless you know yeah. their history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, 
what do we get from this passage? I find it I, don't, I find it interesting that in my version it says, "Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do." Yeah, the, Paul sees the sinful nature as a slave master. Oh, that's why that word. Mm-hmm. He sees it as a slave master, demanding. It's it's that that sinful desire, that sinful nature that demands addiction. Right. And controls us through addictive behaviors. Because it says, for if you live so by its we, dictates, we are so obligated to the slave master because Jesus mm-hmm. Christ has set us free uh-huh. through the Spirit. See, that's, yes. I think that's how the metaphor works. Okay. I, I have in my mind, it's, uh, we are debtors not to the flesh. Mm. So you're not obligated, you're not. In debt, too. In debt, too. You don't owe the sinful flesh anything. That's a really different way of thinking about it. It's a completely reversed because we think we're obligated to the Spirit to live, to diss the flesh, and to die to the flesh. That's how we view it. Mm-hmm. But for Paul, it's no, you're, you're only obligated to the Spirit because you're set free by the Spirit, and you're not under debt anymore. It's, it's a very different... It it takes what we normally think and turns it on its head, really. And it is so liberating yeah. to know that no matter what you do, you can never be perfect. Because Therefore, you're not going to get salvation because you die this and this mm-hmm. and this. You're already saved. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's talk about the concept of pleasure. We tend to think that worldly pleasure is what's being talked about here and sinful flesh. But if you think about it, when we do sinful acts, it's usually because of a limbic response. Mm-hmm. Because of? A limbic response. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's our slave master. Mm-hmm. This book by this Australian uh, teacher at Avondale, uh, Darren Morton, he calls it the limbo. Your limbo. He's always talking about your limbo. Um, he points out that the limbo is a two-year-old child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And your prefrontal mm-hmm. cortex is your adult. Mm-hmm. And if you give in to the two-year-old who, who starts ruling, <laughs> he starts having a tantrum. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. so, so I think that's kind of what is going on here. In, I'm just modernizing it. Uh, and something that we can understand and relate to. We're not indebted to our limbo. We don't have to obey its temper, temper tantrums. Hmm. So, following that on, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your of the body, you will live. What does it mean to put to death the deeds of the body? Well, what's interesting about the the limbic system, that's like the emotional, right, Mm -hmm. reactive responses, whatever, versus rational and thinking. Um, When when we think of the spirit, that's kind of, I mean, it's definitely a combo of the two, (laughs) you know, living in the spirit. 
Because there's like the emotional side of that or the... Well, of course, the, the, the right side of your prefrontal yeah. cortex is very much in tune to the emotional. The right, yeah. Um, so the, my understanding is the way it's supposed to work is that we're supposed to move from the limbic to the right side mm-hmm. of the brain first and then to the then left. Come around. Which is, by the way, the Hebrew alphabet is from right to left. And the sanctuary is from right to left. Really? Yeah. That's cool. In terms of, of um, I think, the order of service. Huh. So. And we're so left to we're so right. We're so controlling. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we're so controlling that left that right. we actually turn it into the limbic, a, a, you might say a, a mirror of the limbic system. Only it's rational yeah. control. So, so it's supposed to go the other way. Uh, and you look at how Paul uses this. He's, he sounds like he's starting with the left, right? You have to put to death the deeds mm-hmm. of the body. Mm-hmm. So maybe let's come back to that. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Now he's dealing with the limbo, limbic system, He's, he's enshrouding it with the hope it doesn't have to be afraid. It's relie- he's relieving its fears. Because fears is because the, fear is the basis of what the limbic does. Right. So I like to think of, this is, I hope that, I, I'm glad we're all women today. Because yeah. I think I can get away with saying <laughs> yeah. this. There might be some men. <laughs> there might be some men. They'll have to close their ears if they don't like this. I like to think of the Holy Spirit as rocking that little baby two-year-old and comforting it. And saying, you don't need to be afraid. Yeah. You don't need to be afraid. So that it frees up the right frontal lobe and then the left frontal lobe mm. to be able to bring order into chaos. That's cool. I think this is a great passage for people who have suffered from anxiety, which is our whole society, <laughs> practically. Yes. Um, especially the younger society. If, if it is true that we are not under the bondage of the fear of the limbic system, whatever is causing that fear, whether it's the slave master with a whip, so to speak, I'd like, to, I'd like to translate this in a different way now. Mm-hmm. Going back to the beginning of Romans. I believe that what Paul's whole goal is, is to bring us to trust in God. That's his whole goal. To bring us to an understanding of, of the righteousness that comes by trust. The, the problem with the reason why we try to earn our salvation is because we think of God as like a slave master. We think of him as someone we have to fear and someone we have to please at all times. And if we displease him, he gets mad. So right off the bat, if you go back to the first few chapters of Romans, uh, Romans 1 deals with God's wrath. And it says... You know, there are consequences to sin, but they're not something God is going to do to you. He's going to give you up to those consequences. And therefore, that reason, because we're all in the same boat, we're all sinners, you don't have any reason to judge. So 
left frontal lobe, stop judging everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and he's, he's kind of dismantling our whole superstructure of religion. And then he, he talks about where our righteousness comes from, why Jesus had to die, that because he passed over former sins, it, it wasn't clear that sin leads to death, and we were in danger of thinking that we could get off the hook with no consequence. So Jesus dies to show that sin leads to death. So then we talk about, he talks about works versus faith. No, it's not about works. It's about trusting, not working. And then uh, he talks about uh, we are justified by faith. We have peace. He's trying, he's trying to deal with that whole... I, I would say that the works model is a limbic model. The limbic is in control. And it's feeding then the responses of both left and right sides of the brain. And so Paul is trying to say, you have peace, you're justified. It's, God is on your side. Although he doesn't say that yet. He says that in chapter 8. So... Chapter 6, lest they think they can get off the hook now and there's no consequences. No, sin leads to death. Chapter 6 is all about that. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. And then chapter 7, he says, well, so what do I do? I'm in this limbic cycle of of constantly uh, getting caught up in doing the wrong things, and I can't seem to conquer it. There's part of me that does, wants to do what's right, and there's part of me that doesn't. And his resolution is kind of unsettling. So then with my mind, I'm a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh, I'm a slave to the law of sin. Dualism. What do we do with that? Mm-hmm. It's a contradiction. It seems like it's a, a contradiction. Paradox. It's yeah. a, a riddle, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I, but don't ever stop at the end of a chapter with Paul. There were no chapters and verses when Paul wrote Romans. (laughs) It was one seamless book. So then he says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's his climax. Not, so then with my mind I'm a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh I'm a slave to the law of sin. I have this dual nature. No, there's hope. There's no condemnation because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is in chapter 6 where he says the the end of these things is death. The wages of sin is death. That's the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit sets us free from that. So this is how he's unpacking this statement. You don't need, he's translating now from you should not to you don't need to. You don't need to live under the power of the limbic system. Which is very fear-based. Which is very fear-based and which increases your sinning. Think of a child in an abusive family. That child, the more he's whipped and beaten for doing something that the parents did not want him to do, the more he's likely to do it again. It sets him up for failure. 
And so Paul is saying this is not the kind of relationship you need with God. This is You don't need to fear. You put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, not by trying hard to please God. So how does that work? Well, because you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. You're home. You're with mommy and daddy. And mommy and daddy love you, and they do not abuse you. They are not like your limbic master. Am I, am I making sense at all? With yes, this? you do. You, you make sense. Yes. <laughs> it's a lot to like, put all together. Um, when we cry, Abba, Father, and Abba, as you know, is the colloquial Aramaic term for Daddy. Mm-hmm. It does not... It is not Abi, which would be Hebrew for my father. Uh, it's a, it's a, a kind of like a child running up to the house and saying, Daddy, Daddy. With no sense of fear. With no sense of fear. fear knowing that they're... When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him, so that we may be glorified with him. When I think of certain strong characters in the Old Testament, such as Abraham and Jacob and David, they all made terrible mistakes, mm-hmm. but they were not rejected. No. In spite of the fact. Oh. Uh, God saw in them the desire to, to love him. They knew, he knew that these people were his children in spite of what mistakes they made. And I'm very impressed. I always visualize Christ walking in one town to another town and sees Zacchaeus uh, says, come down from the tree, I want to come to it. He didn't say, go and fix up your sins, repent, and then I come. He was exceptionally uh, toler- tolerant towards people who suffer from sin. Mm-hmm. He, 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 saw them, them. he saw them as under bondage, mm-hmm. actually. You know, he came to destroy the works of the devil, and the exactly. works of the devil were to just feed this limbic system yes, yes. And, and cause it to control our and, lives. And what a wonderful way in social work, you know, that you think he did not condemn them. Mm-hmm. He loved them, mm-hmm. and that was enough for them to repent. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. meet Jacqueline, you want me to have a meal for you? You know, I mean, I've Please forgive me, I will make up things straight. And many examples, you know, the woman in quoting uh, adultery and all this. So I don't know where this came from, you know, that you have to struggle in order to win your salvation. You're already saved. So is that, I'm sorry to say, I was a Greek Orthodox for many years. Mm-hmm. So I did not grow up in this country where you could not do this and you could not do that. A Greek Orthodox doesn't have that, no. that pension. That's, no. that's, comes, that's our inheritance from Roman Catholicism and Protestantism, Puritanism. Yes, yeah. I, I just don't buy this. I'm sorry. I'm saved. And our, our whole society is built that way. Really? Now I'm going to get on my bandbox. This country is built on that. Pardon? This country, country. yeah. The, the American dream is built on the work ethic. You work hard, you'll get ahead. You can do anything if you work hard enough. 
And consequently, we're the hardest working country in the world. <laughs> and the most anxiety with no sleep and fear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it, work is our addiction, let's put it mm-hmm. bluntly. Mm-hmm. But it goes back, it actually goes back to the Babylonians. Mm-hmm. And the Babylonians invented economics. You think because they were in exile? I, I mean, think well, the, the, original, the original plan God had for humanity was closer to the gather, hunter and gatherer culture where you live off the land and everybody works together to supply the needs of everyone and everyone is valued and loved. Mm-hmm. That was God's original plan. Live off the land. Don't create materialism. Don't, you know, just live off the land. So when he calls Abraham out of Babylon... He calls him to be a nomad, semi-nomad, if not a nomad. And in that nomadic culture, your wealth is your livestock, your animals. But you, you travel from place to place. So you never have a sense of empowerment and control. If you've read Paralandra by C.S. Lewis, Paralandra takes the story of the fall and translates it to a planet called Venus where two people are, are created, a, a couple, like Adam and Eve. And the only prohibition is they are to stay off the fixed land. They're to keep on the land that is constantly in motion. It rests upon the ocean and it's that constantly you have to learn how to walk because it rolls. And you're supposed to stay on that land and and eat of the bubble trees, and you're never. You only need to eat one bubble. <laughs> this is C.S. Lewis's imagination at work. And you only need to meet, eat one bubble because that satisfies you. To eat any more is sinning. And so they they have this, and and ransom is sent, which represents Jesus, to keep them from that fixed land, because fixed land means control. Mm-hmm. And isn't that how the how we work the limbic system? We are hyper controlling. We have to have everything under control because of our fears. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so the Babylonians found out that that's how to control fear, and they got very controlling. And they had this this whole structured society that we're very familiar with of economics, of kingship, of law. Um, not I, I use the term law usually. It's, it's more like a judicial court system. And they, they hand it to everybody. They influenced the whole world, the whole Western world and part of the Eastern world. We are, that's our system. That's everything that we're, that we're used to. And so consequently, our whole makeup and our whole driving system is contrary to God's way of trusting. So that's why, going back to Romans, I mean, to Genesis 3, you have, none of you have been here when I went through Genesis 3, uh, not Genesis 3, uh, Genesis 12. Going back to the original covenant with Abraham, it was a covenant of faith. And you can follow the storyline. God says to Abraham, you are going to have an heir. I'm going to fill your, this land with, seed, with your seed. And Abraham believes God. 
And the text says, God counted it as his righteousness. All I want is your trust. That's the only righteousness you need. Because I'm the one that keeps you right. Okay, if you trust me. So then God says, I'm going to give you this land. And Abraham, and, and if you go through the, the chapters, this is not chapter 12 now, this is chapter 15. If you go through chapter 12, 13, and 14, God says two other times he's going to give them this land. And Abraham doesn't make a single peep or mutter. He says nothing. But now he says in chapter, now that God says he's accepted his trust as his righteousness, and he says, I'm going to give you this land, uh, Abraham says, how do I know? You're going to give me this land. Oops. Where's the trust, Abraham? So God says, okay, I see you don't really have 100% faith. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to cut a covenant. We're going to snip you. Not yet. That comes later. (laughs) We're going to cut a covenant. Go get these animals. So Abraham goes and gets the animals. He knows exactly what to do. This is a... a Custom in Mari, and Mari texts, which is a little after the time of Abraham. He cuts up the animals, lays them body part to body part, and puts out the birds of prey, I mean the birds, and he shoves away the birds of prey. And then God makes a torch and a, in a sensor pass between the body parts. He passes between the body parts. It's like floating across. And Abraham sees the floating thing. And and yeah, and he sees these this pretty sensor and this torch <laughs> passing between the body parts. And what he's what God is saying is I this is my covenant with you. This is not a mutual covenant. This is my covenant with you and all you need to do is trust me. So I'm making myself pass between these parts saying if I do not keep the terms of this covenant, you may cut me in pieces like you've cut these animals in pieces. And God ratifies this covenant. This is God's covenant, a covenant of trust. So, a few chapters later, Abraham decides that first co- part of the covenant, having an heir, wasn't getting fulfilled fast enough, and so he has Ishmael. And when Ishmael's 13, God says, Okay, Abraham, we're going to have to cut the covenant. And this time, because you took the terms of the covenant on yourself and didn't trust me to fulfill it, the cutting is going to have to take place closer to home. Circumcision. Hmm. You should hear my students when I tell them that. The guys just go, Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Um... (laughs) Katrina appreciates that. She has those moments in class too. Uh, I was teaching circumcision this past year, and I didn't realize my male students were so embarrassed. Really? <laughs> <laughs> it comes up a lot in Paul. He talks about it all the time. But they turn red all the time, or what? Well, they just yeah, they do. They just kind of look down, like, "Oh, how dare you!" I think it's because we're women doing it. I really think that's it. If a man did it, they wouldn't think a thing of it. But because a woman is talking about it, <laughs> they have a problem with it. Anyway, um, this, is, this is the story of Abraham. And it's the story of all of us who lack trust. 
and get in God's way and try to earn what can't be earned because you can't earn God's trustworthiness. I'm not waiting. Yeah. I, I don't know, I'm not a theology major, but when Christ said that if you ask me to come and live with you, if you believe in me, uh-huh. me and my Father will come and uh, live with you. In other words, you think that the Spirit of God can change this, can can liberate you and help you to say, yeah, I, I got it, I got it, I'm accepted, I don't have to do anything. Just love Him, believe in Him, and live to honor Him. Yeah. So, isn't that the work of the Holy Spirit that can yes. change? Yes, this, absolutely. This? That's what Paul's talking about here. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Spirit, I think where we get hung up, the Spirit leads us to act. It's not a completely passive relationship. It's not just, we. trusting isn't just laying back and saying, you do it all. Trusting is cooperation um, because we trust Him. But where we get in trouble is we think we have to cre- to in to use our own motivation. We can't let the spirit motivate us. You know, I think that the spirit that once you accept the spirit, you say, "I want to thank you for this," mm-hmm. and as a result of um, being blessed by your presence, I like to live according to the way you like me to live. And I often recite Psalms 23, you lead me into the paths of righteousness for your name's right. sake. Mm-hmm. And again, being a Greek and having very old Greek traditions, my mother used to say, because our father died during the Second World War from injuries, and he was in the Navy, and he would say, you're going to live in a way that honor the memory of your father. Mm-hmm. And then when I started studying, you know, Psalms 23, I thought, oh, there's a parallel here. Mm-hmm. You know, you lead me into the path of righteousness for your name's sake. Mm-hmm. And we were to live in a way that we honor my father's name. Mm-hmm. So if you do it out of gratitude, not out of fear or out of obligation, you say, thank you, God, for you, that you have accepted me as your child. And as a result, I'd like to please you. It's a joy to honor you by doing this and that, not because I have to pay my salvation. I don't know. Yeah, it it has to do with, I think, I think Americans are more damaged by our legalism, our whole societal legalism. Uh, I think I think we have. That's why we have such an addictive society. Yeah. High addictions are very high in America. And how do you explain that? Is is because of our our legal our legalistic outlook that is secular. It's not just religious. It's secular. Mm-hmm. And our work ethic and all of that. I personally believe that we love because he first loved us. Yes. Um, and that his love actually engenders love. It, to use Desire of Ages terminology, it awakens love. 
and that to the extent that we are not loved and in childhood uh, genuinely we we will seek power and the more we seek power the less we seek love the more we seek power the more works oriented we become and then we become addicted we become addicted to work and then we suffer and some of us don't go that route we become we we know we need love and we know we're not getting enough and so we seek something else to ease our pain and compensate for lack of love and that becomes drugs or alcohol or, or whatever or work or work some of us go yeah keeping busy <laughs> Uh, and so it's it's this. I, I think the best model for understanding the plan of salvation is a psychological, social work model. Mm-hmm. I really do, uh, because it's it's the one that has helped me to understand uh, the plan of salvation the best. That we all come from a place of need or woundedness, or right. and looking for things or people to fill right. that. Right. In my home, we are three girls, and my mother was 38 when my father died. And my older sister always grew up with the idea that she was not as loved as I was. Mm-hmm. She yeah. probably was made to work more. Yeah. <laughs> she always complained. Uh, she, was the, she was the victim. She had to do this and had to do this and had to do that in order to gain my, father's, my mother's love. But because I was born a year after their son died and they gave me his name, maybe that was one reason, I was my mother's favorite daughter. And it was a wonderful inner strength I had mm-hmm. knowing that mm-hmm. she loved me. That's why you can't understand your older sister, so to speak. I, I your older sister is typical of us yes. who are oh, I understand. I feel for sorry for her. I understand her. I feel sorry for her. That's why I thought she cannot help it. That's the way she, yeah. she's wired. She's wired. Yeah, yes. And that is to translate her to all of us yes. who struggle with legalism. Yes. And that's our story. Yes. It's a sad thing. She ended up having dementia. Mm. But I love my, my older sister, mm-hmm. But she was, you know, she was the first one after the, the, the boy was older, but he died. And so she felt responsible to take care of the other little ones. And, and you know, she did this and she did that. And, and she, she was not capable of forgetting and forgiving. Mm-hmm. She had wonderful other possibilities and other gifts. Mm-hmm. But no, no, we did that 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. still remembers it. And, and I remember one time I was late from work and my mother was standing at the corner of our street and we didn't have telephones in those days and, and she was waiting for me, you know, wondering why I'm so late. And she said, what happened to you? I, I This beautiful picture of my mother waiting for me, wondering, you know, if I was okay. It was just, to this day, it just brings me energy and strength and you know so it's sad that sometimes there's one person who is loved and another in the same family Mm -hmm. I don't know my sister thought it could be that my mother was hard on her because she was the oldest and she had to be a good Mm -hmm. example and all this Mm -hmm. kind of that's always the way it is with the oldest child almost always especially when a parent dies and it kind of yeah it has to take a role 
Yeah. Yeah. My brother and I were both made to work, uh, which, by the way, is supposed to be a good ethic and a good developmental thing to do. But he did not feel as loved by my parents as I did. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is an older older child, and they he's were harder old, on him. Older. Yeah, four, almost four years older. You they were four? No, four he was older. four years older than me. Oh, yes. yes. Um, my sister's also five, four years older than I am. Yeah. So he was the oldest, and he felt that he had to He felt, him. well, no, it wasn't that so much. He just... He, he. My parents were harder on him. The discipline was harder, and he was a rambunctious, very active child. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> um, well, maybe maybe we can keep that adoption and fear. It's the adoption, a friend to Christ, that keeps us from fear. And the fear is what drives this whole limbic model of works and trying to pacify God, trying to please Him. If we can keep that in mind as we continue to work through the rest of Romans, I think it will be an advantage to us. Well, thank you. Let's have prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you that your Spirit is the one who can renew us, adopt us, uh, cleanse us from unrighteousness, bring in us the fruit of the Spirit, grow in us uh, the connection to the vine that will reap the fruit of the Spirit. We ask that this will all be take place in our lives. For your name's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.